Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Beth. Let's take a second now, and if you would join me, let's pray uh, briefly and ask God to help us as we look at these verses together this morning. Let's pray. Father, come now and work in our hearts, we ask, by the Holy Spirit's power and presence among us. We ask that, oh God, we would see you rightly for who you are, and that a vision of you, uh, as you've revealed yourself to us in the scriptures, would serve to make a difference in our lives that we would worship you more faithfully and truly, that we would take confidence that you are good and that you are for us, that we would be able to rest by faith in who you are and in what you have done for us in Jesus. And Father, we pray that as we see you and come to know who you are, it would also move us out in the world to reflect your image, both in the things we say and in the way we live our lives. Help us to pursue justice and to pursue, pursue mercy in the world, for you are a God of justice. And we pray these things this morning, asking for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the idea of God's justice, God's justice is our theme for the morning. And Psalm 146 speaks about that a good bit. And just to open up, it's probably somewhat obvious to most of you that, you know, people in our culture love the idea of a God of love, by and large. People in our culture love the idea of a God of mercy, of a God of compassion, but a God of justice, not nearly as popular. People really sometimes have significant problems, actually, with the idea that God is just. And so if we want to really understand, however, how the Christian faith revealed to us in the scriptures presents God for who he is, we have to understand and think together, not about the things that we inherently love about God only, but also about the things that might make us a little bit uncomfortable, frankly, when we're thinking about God. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. We're going to think together about God's justice. I think one of the reasons that people have such a difficult time often with the idea that God is a God of justice, the reason many modern people struggle with the idea is because there's this idea that a loving God can't also be a judging God. You know, as a pastor, I've been asked many times, how can a God of love also be a God who has wrath, a God who has anger? How can a loving God be loving and yet also judge and condemn people? And that's a very reasonable question, by the way. It's a very good question to ask. And really the best answer I have found comes from a book called Hope Has Its Reasons by a woman named Rebecca Pippert. And I want to read you as we get going a quote this morning. It's going to be here on the screen so you can read along. Listen to this. Here's what Becky Pippert writes. Think how we feel when we see someone ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. 
Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the insides of the human race. He loves with his whole being. That's a quote you need to think about for a while. But in other words, what Pippert is saying is that God's justice is a part of his character. And rather than being in contradiction to his love, God's justice and love actually go together. In fact, the justice of God flows out of and is founded on, you might say, the love of God. We're going to explore the idea of God's justice today and see why it's actually really good news. Really good news for you to have a just God. So moving through this series, Knowing God, we're using Psalm 146 this morning to think about the fact that God is a God who acts justly and who loves justice. And here's the main idea, the main point for you to take away. Here's how I'm putting it. God is worthy of our praise and service because he is perfectly just. That's what I want you to remember. God is worthy of our praise and service because he is perfectly just. Three questions that we're going to ask as we explore that main point and hopefully answer as we move forward this morning through this idea. First, what is God's justice? Secondly, why is it good news to have a just God? And third, how can we respond to the idea of a just God? Okay, those are the three questions. There's some notes on the screen behind me. There's space in your uh, bulletin to take notes too, if you're a note taker, but we're going. Here we go. Okay, first, what is God's justice? Now, the word in the Hebrew Old Testament for justice is a word that appears literally hundreds of times, a lot in the Bible. And it's a very frequently, it's very frequently used in reference to God himself. And Psalm 146 is a great example. If you look there in verse seven, the psalmist describing God says that God is a God who executes justice. There's the word. He's a God who executes justice. He's a God who keeps faith forever and does justice. That's the verb form of the word. So understand that throughout the Bible, God often, when he's speaking about himself, when he's talking to us about what he is like, he introduces himself very regularly as a God who loves justice, as a God of justice, as a God who executes justice. Last week, I was preaching at another church here in our city, a sister Acts 29 church, and um, I've preached at this church a couple of times, and they always introduce me as you might expect a guest preacher to be introduced. And when I'm introduced, typically in a context like that, I'm introduced based on my vocation, right? So people will say, this is Luke Evans. He's the pastor of Christ Church in the northeast part of San Antonio, and he planted the church with another group of people a couple of years ago. That's basically how they introduce me. Um, it's, it's on my business card. If I give you one of my business cards, it says, Luke Evans, pastor, Christ Church San Antonio. You might say that God's calling card or God's business card has on it that he is a God who does justice. He is a God who loves justice. I love that the psalm describes that God is, in verse 6, powerful, and then tells us in the rest of the psalm that God uses his infinite power to act and to do justly. So, Given that justice then is a main attribute or a main characteristic of the real God, 
What does it mean? What does this idea of justice mean? A Bible dictionary puts it like this. It defines justice as, quote, the action of God that promotes the well-being and equality of all humanity. The action of God that promotes the well-being and equality of all humanity. That's a fairly good definition, but I want to build on that a little bit. When you think about the idea of justice, and in particular, God's justice, you can think of it really as having two sides of one coin. There's a negative angle and a positive angle. So what does justice mean? Negatively, to say that God is just means that God's justice is his punishing people fairly for evil. Now, the Bible is full of this sort of language. That's the point of the verses um, that I wanted to get in but wasn't able to get in in time. In the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation, uh, in Revelation of John, we're looking forward to the final day of judgment when God will execute justice as the king of the universe. And throughout Revelation, if you read it, you'll notice that God is praised in the heavenlies for his justice. For example, Revelation 16, verse 5. Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed, that is the evil ones, they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So when we think about God being a God of justice, it's probably understandable and makes sense that part of what that means is that God punishes wrongdoing. He punishes evil. One of the most famous passages in the Bible comes in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Whether you're a Christian or not, I would bet that you've heard these verses before. They're about the same idea. Let me read them real quickly. Leviticus 24 says this, Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good. Life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. That's an idea reflecting God's own character, that God is just. He is equitable in punishing evil and wrongdoing. That's the negative side of God's justice. The positive side of God's justice is something we also see all through the Bible. If God's justice means negatively that he punishes people fairly for evil... Positively, God's justice is caring for, his caring for, and protection of people who are vulnerable. In fact, almost every single time in the Old Testament that the justice of God is mentioned, it's in connection with his care and concern for the weakest people in society. The Christian philosopher Nicholas Wolterstorff has said that Anytime God's justice is speaking of in the Bible, you see four types of people named in accord with God's justice. The widow, the orphan, the alien or the refugee, and the poor. Walterstorff calls those four the quartet, the quartet of the vulnerable. And we see it in Psalm 146. Look at verse 7 again. We read that God executes justice for who? For the oppressed. 
He gives food to the hungry. He sets prisoners. That is not every prisoner, right? (laughs) Prisoners who have been wrongfully imprisoned. He sets prisoners free. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He watches over refugees or sojourners. He upholds the the, uh, widow and the fatherless. So God is spoken of in his justice as the one who cares about those who are weak, who cares about those who are vulnerable. A couple of other biblical passages in case Psalm 146 alone doesn't convince you. I want to show you how all over the scriptures this idea is. Deuteronomy 10. God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 9. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with rightness. The Lord is a stronghold for who? The oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. Ezekiel 34, a prophecy about the work of Jesus. God is speaking here. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in, there's the word again, in justice. Tim Keller uh, has written well about this idea. And in his book, Generous Justice, he writes that justice in the scriptures means, given what we've seen, it means not just that you don't oppress the weak. Justice also means that you don't ignore the weak. Or to put that another way, what we would consider typically a matter of charity is actually in the scriptures a matter of justice. To see people without clothing and to not give them clothing or to see people without food and to not give them food is not just, according to the Bible, it's not just uncharitable, although it is uncharitable. It's also unjust. And the reason that's the case is because God, as um, the one who's made everything and created us in his image, is a God who cares about justice, punishing wrongdoing and caring for those who are weak and vulnerable. Okay? So that's what justice is, specifically in reference to God himself. So secondly, why is it good news that God is like that? Why is it good news to have a just God? And here's why, again, here's why I'm asking that. You know, as I mentioned at the outset, in our day and age, a God of justice is not something typically that people seem to desire, right? It's not something that people want. We want a God of love, we want a God of peace, but a God of justice is a much less popular idea. So let me just really briefly give you three reasons why it's actually a very good thing, why it's very good news to have a just God, okay? The first reason is this, having a just God is good news because it means, it means that all of our inherent longings for justice will be satisfied, I don't think it's taking it too far to say that every single human longs for justice to be done in this world. I mean, think about it. Go to any playground in the world. And what are you probably going to hear as you watch children and listen to children playing within the first five minutes? That's not fair, (laughs) right? That's not fair. Kids know that fairness is something that's important. 
If you're a parent, you know, you don't have to teach your children about fairness and unfairness. A sense of just, of justice, you know, it sort of comes with the package of being, being human. You know, like toys, sometimes it'll say batteries included. Well, a sense of justice is included just in the idea of humanity. We know about it, you know, deep in our bones. All of us long for justice. And that's especially true as we look at the brokenness and the multiple injustices in the world. I mean, what's one of the most famous movie franchises around right now? Not Star Wars, not Lord of the Rings, although you thought that was probably where I was going. Uh, The Avengers. The Avengers. I mean, what's the whole point of the Avengers? I mean, they're called the Avengers because they execute vengeance, justice. There's also the Justice League, which apparently is coming down the movie pike as well, right? We all want justice to be done. There's an inherent human passion for right to be done and for evil to be punished. That's why movies like The Avengers are so inherently powerful. They're so inherently captivating. It's not just the cool action sequences, although those are really cool. It's also, it's also the idea of powerful people administering justice in a way that we normal folks can't do. So the movies, they, seek to our, they speak to our idea of wanting justice but not being able to achieve it ourselves perfectly. So here's the point. Having a God of justice means... It means that one day, every single wrong will be righted. Having a God of justice means that there is no single instance of wickedness or injustice or oppression that does not infuriate the living God. There's no instance of wickedness or evil or or partiality that God has slipped by him. Every single instance of injustice will one day be righted by God. The fact that God is just means that there is not ever a time where evil in the end will get away with it. It means that all of our longings for the right thing to be done will be met. It's good news. That God is just for that reason. And then secondly, having a just God is good news because it means that the real God cares for those who are weak and powerless. I've already spoken about that a little bit, but let's make that a little bit more practical and real for us. Listen, the real God cares for you when you are victimized, when you are abused, when you are mistreated, and when you are oppressed. God sees that, and God will right those wrongs. That's why he's being praised there in Revelation, and also in Psalm 146. Listen, here's a great thing about Christianity. Something I love about Christianity. The Christian God, the real God, is he's really different from the other false gods of the ancient world. And he's different from the false religious systems of the world today as well. And how is he different? He's different in this sense. The true God uses his power for the oppressed. Whereas the gods of the nations in the Old Testament and really the false gods of all sorts of religious institutions and worldviews today are, quote, gods of the elite. 
They're gods of the powerful and they are used and their power is used for the privileged only. And so what that means is that if you have been oppressed, if you have been abused, if you have been cast out, if you have been persecuted, if you have been victimized, God, the almighty is especially for you. He is particularly in your corner and on your side. God is on the side of the weak. God is on the side of the poor. God is on the side of the lonely. If you're here today and your past is tattered and bruised, or if your present is hopeless and lonely, then the good news is that the great God of heaven and earth who keeps faith forever is with you and for you and will certainly execute justice for you. It's good news. God is with you in your oppression, in your brokenness, in your weakness. The real God is on the side of the weak. The real God is on the side of the poor. The real God is for those who can't take care of themselves. And that's a good thing. Third, third reason why having a just God is good news is this. It's good news having a just God because there is no certainty of salvation for anyone if God is not just. Do you know that? There is no certainty that you are going to heaven and not hell if God is not just. Why? Well, here's what I mean. God, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, has made a promise. God says that everyone who comes to him through Jesus by faith will be forgiven of all of their sins. He says that the death of Jesus on the cross fully pays for all of our rebellion against God. It fully pays for the guilt that you and that I incur because we don't do what God tells us to do and we do what God says we shouldn't. If we trust in Jesus, if we rest in his finished work for us on the cross, if we believe that Jesus takes the punishment for our sin in his death and that in his resurrection, we receive the righteousness that is rightly Jesus's, if we believe that, if we believe that we have full freedom and access again into the presence of God, the father, and because we have access into the presence of God, the father, we have peace, we have hope, we have renewal in our life. We have great relationships that are restored. We have, we have safety. We have assurance. If God, however, isn't fully just, then you can't be certain that he won't go back on that promise Say, perhaps, if you make him really, really mad. <laughs> if God isn't fully just, you can't have assurance that he is going to keep his promise to save you from your deserved destination of hell through the blood of Jesus on the cross. God promises that he will not cast out any who come to him, but he will cleanse them. He will make them white as snow, although they are in reality smeared and stained with sin. Now, because God is just, we know, we know that he will never go back on that promise. In other words, God's justice gives those of us who have trusted in Jesus, it gives us assurance 
that he does take care of and avenge evil in the world. And also that he will be faithful to his promise of mercy to us. The author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament talks about this all the time. And at one point in Hebrews, the author says that God cannot deny himself. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that when God has promised to save people through the death of his son, his own name, his own reputation, his own glory is on the line. And listen, there is nothing in the universe that God cares more about than his own glory being proclaimed. He will never defame his own name. And because that is true, he will never deny himself and the promises he has made to us in the gospel. Because God is just, you can be absolutely sure that if you've trusted and rested in Jesus as he offers himself to you in the gospel by faith, that promise is definite and certain forever. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you feel right now. It doesn't matter the level of your assurance. You are not saved based on how certain you are of your salvation. You are saved based on the certainty of what Jesus has done for you to secure your salvation. And the justice of God means that that promise will never be changed or revoked. Amen? Amen. You sound Southern Baptist with those amens. It's good. I like that. Okay. First, what is God's justice? We've talked about that. Second, why is it good news to have a just God? Because all of our longings for justice will be met first. Second, because it means he cares for those who are weak and powerless. And then third... It's good to have a just God because there's no salvation or certainty of salvation for anyone if God isn't fully just, okay? Last question as we finish up this morning. How can we respond to God's justice? Practically, application-wise, what does that that mean for us today and in the coming weeks and months? Three things, briefly, okay? Three ways you can respond. First, praise. I mean, look at the psalm. Look at the psalm that Beth read. How does that begin? Praise the Lord. Repeated, praise the Lord. And notice the psalmist is here writing to himself. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. This psalm is designed to awaken our cold hearts to the good news of who God is for us in the gospel. It's designed to enrapture us with how praiseworthy and glorious God is for his justice and righteousness. And so very practically, you and I, when we, when we ponder and reflect on the greatness and righteousness and equity of God's just judgments, we are, we are in a sense living in the way that God has made us to live. We're living before the face of God and giving him the glory and the praise that he deserves. So one way to respond to the justice of God is to worship God, to praise God in the depths of your soul. Oh, my soul, the psalmist says, praise him. I mean, can you think about that with me? Think about how incredibly amazing it is that God is so mighty and sovereign and good Every act of injustice ever committed since the fall itself will one day at the return of Jesus be justly and rightly dealt with. That should fill us with joy. 
That should fill us with praise for him. That's an appropriate response. Can you praise him in your hearts this morning? Second, the second way to respond to God's justice, to the truth of God's justice, is hope. Verses 3 through 5. Don't put your trust in princes. That should go without saying in the Bible and in our day, but we need to have it told to us again and again. Don't put your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. He's going to die. His plans aren't certain, verse 4. But blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, verse 5, whose hope, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Why? Because he made everything and because he executes justice. So we can hope because God is just. And that's particularly true for you this morning. If you find yourself in a situation where you have been wronged. And we've all been wronged, right? At some point or another in our lives. But, but some of us, and that's who I'm speaking to right now. Some of us have been particularly and brutally victimized and mistreated. Maybe we were abused. Maybe we are right now in a relationship that is terrible and that's ripping us apart on the inside. Maybe we have been mistreated in our workplaces for many years. I don't know exactly what it is for some of you, but I can tell you this. God's justice really gives us and grounds us in a gospel-formed hope. We can hope that when we are mistreated and when we are victimized, God has not been cast off his throne. When you remember the painful memories that you might have pushed into the recesses of your subconscious, when they begin to crop up in your life again, that doesn't mean that God has forgotten about you. You can hope because God is just that one day he will make all things new, including your life, including your story. You can cry out like the martyrs in Revelation say, how long, O Lord? And you could know that his righteous acts will one day be revealed. So very practically on that level, hoping, hoping in God's perfect justice, hoping in the return of Jesus means that it's not our job to seek to repay or do justice ourselves in the sense that we're out for vengeance. The apostle Paul says in Romans 12, he says this, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Do you hear that? Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So we hope in the gospel by laying down our own need for personal vengeance. But we don't lay it down in the sense that we sort of forget about it and wipe it under the rug of our lives. That's not what the gospel is saying. That's not what the scriptures say. Rather, we lay it down in the sense that we lay it down before God and wait for God the rightful judge to take it up for us and to deal with it in his own time perfectly. You respond to God's justice by praising God, by hoping, by hoping in God and in the return of Jesus. And then finally, you respond to God's justice by doing justice yourself. And especially those things that are written there about in verses seven through nine, we are to pursue justice and mercy in our own lives As citizens of the kingdom of God, we demonstrate and live out the ethic of the kingdom and the character of the king by acting in accord with his own perfect character. So what does it mean to pursue justice in our lives? It doesn't mean vengeance. We just talked about that. And 
we just, you know, I've spoken about this before, but really what it means is to talk about those and care for those people, the quartet of the vulnerable that I talked about a minute ago in practical, tangible ways in your life. Our missions team heading out Friday is a great example of what it means to seek mercy and do justice, to care for those who are poor, to meet physical needs to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress, to sacrifice things that you would like so that you can give something to someone else that can't have that thing on his own or on her own. That's what it means to respond to the justice of God. The Bible talks about that all the time. Deuteronomy 10. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. God loves the refugee, giving him food and clothing. And you are to also love those who are refugees for you yourself were refugees in Egypt. Proverbs 31 speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves for the rights of all who are destitute at the risk of being too self-referential. I preached a whole sermon series on this very idea in 2015 called kingdom come. You can go on the website and listen to some of those for more practical ideas about how we respond to God's justice by doing justice ourselves. So God is just, and that's actually very, very good news. It's, it's actually something that should lead us to praise him, to hope in him, and then to pursue justice and mercy in our own lives. I want to close with this story. Uh, two professors that taught at the seminary that I went to in Philadelphia, their names were Harvey Kahn and Jack Miller. You might be familiar with those names. They went on a mission trip in uh, Kampala, Uganda in 1980. Excuse me. And um, the purpose of the trip was to go and preach and do evangelism. And Khan tells the story that when they arrived in the city of Kampala in 1980, what they saw on almost every street corner were just massive mountains of garbage, like trash heaps everywhere. And they tell the story about how the children of the city would climb in the piles. And, you know, as a game, they would throw stones at the rats in the trash heaps. And they asked, they kind of shifted their gears on the trip. And they asked the minister of health in the city if they could use city trucks to begin to haul away the garbage. And um, as they did that, they would stop and they would share the gospel at the corners with the peasants there. Jack Miller called it garbage evangelism, <laughs> garbage evangelism. And when, when the minister of health asked them, yeah, you can do, you can take our trucks, but I got to ask you why, I mean, why would you want to do this? Their simple answer was Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is why. And then when they would go and speak to the peasants as they were cleaning up the corners of the streets, the peasants would ask them, are you members of a political party? you know, here to curry favor <laughs> during an election season. And this response of the team was simply this. Yes, we are members of the kingdom of God. And then they would share the love of Jesus by doing mercy and justice. And then by speaking about the good news of the gospel. If it's true, the real God is a God of justice. That should be the way we all seek to live. God is just, he is to be praised for it. It's very, very good news. You can trust him. Let's pray.